Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But I thought to myself, now, you know, I don't want Michael Jackson to have to worry his pretty little head trying to come up with lyrics for this song. So I decided I was going to give him six different stanzas from which to choose. And he chose, you got to get it right while you got the time, because when you close your heart, then you close your mind. I had five other stanzas. I wish I could find that piece of paper that those other phrases were written on, but I've been looking for it 30 years. years. Cannot find it. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they moves, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast, a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest me and my other shows, follow me on Instagram at, at Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Saida Garrett, songwriter of one of my favorite all time songs, Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror. Saida's career as an artist and songwriter began 40 years ago. She's written songs and performed background vocals for countless legends like Madonna, the Pointer Sisters, Quincy Jones, Donna Summers, and many others. As a solo artist, you may know Saida for her beautiful duet with Michael Jackson, I Just Can't Stop Loving You, off 1987's Bad Album. She won the Grammy Award for Best Song Written for Visual Media for co-writing Love You, I Do, performed by Jennifer Hudson, in 2006 for the musical film Dreamgirls. In this interview, we're going to learn more about Saida. She shares stories about meeting Quincy Jones and shares amazing memories about the making of Michael Jackson's classic song, Man in the Mirror. So, without further ado, allow me to introduce you to the Grammy Award-winning, Oscar-nominated singer, songwriter, my friend, the silent giant, Saida Garrett. Miss Saida Garrett, how are you? In the flesh, I am painfully fabulous. Let me tell you, there are moments, uh, I like to think of life as a series of days, a series of years, but what you really remember are the moments. I've That's done, so true, yes. I've done about a couple hundred interviews, and this is a moment. This is one of those I'll never Aww, forget. You're so sweet. Um, I can fix that. I can fix that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's such an honor. How are you doing? so good i can't stand myself man i'm i'm you know considering what's going on in the world i'm great yeah I'm like, absolutely great speaking of what's going on in the world like how have you been been coping or or dealing with the covid crisis personally 
Up until today, I've been in the house for 114 days, leaving for three alls, dental, medical, funeral. Mm. That's mm. it. Yes. Yeah. I left to shoot a video last week, and that's about it. I've been in the house, man. I'm good. I don't want to touch nobody. I want to see nobody. <laughs> I don't, don't want to inhale nobody's exhalations. <laughs> I just want to be me by myself in my house. So that's, I've been good. Good. Really good. I'm, I'm glad you're doing well. I'm so glad you're doing well. I am. I want to start off the interview with, I ask this question every time on the podcast, because I believe that there are two things that make people, great people who they are. It's where you're from and what your parents did. So I want to start off with where are you from first? I'm from LA, born and raised. And my parents, well, my mother and father got divorced when I was my sister and I were five and six years old. My father was the number one Porsche dealer for Southern California for a time. He was also a great contractor. He built my grandmother's house in, in Compton. He was also an amazing pitcher. He pitched for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, I think they're, they're a minor league team uh, for, for a time. My dad was a jack of all trades, master of none. So, <laughs> and my mom kind of just, uh, she always wanted to be a secretary or work in an office. So when she and my dad uh, split up, she got an office job and was somebody's secretary for a while till she decided to start working for herself. And she had many businesses over the years, but that's what they did. Mm. I come from a, a divorced family as well. And I, there's a gentleman that I got the pleasure of interviewing a while ago who mentioned that in life, there are no negatives. Um, it's all about how we perceive it. Uh, ah, okay. How, how did your upbringing and uh, from a divorced home shape you to who you are today? Okay, I can start by saying this. Because my mother had an aversion to paying rent, we moved quite frequently. Uh, the landlord never knew that when my mother paid the first and the last, that was going to be their first and their last. <laughs> <laughs> so we moved a lot. And you could say that because there was so much change in my life, I, I don't like change. But for me, because we changed so much, that was the only thing that was a constant in my life, change. And because of that, I flow easily with change. Other people can't, you know, have to do the same thing at the same time, have to have the same kind of job. I'm, that's not me. That's not how I grew up. So my parents taught me to flow easily with change. Wow. How, how did Los Angeles shape you? This has been being, uh, I, I now live here for it's been three days. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> oh, well, you are going to love the weather. Love, <laughs> love, 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 love. <laughs> the traffic. You're going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> so it'll be a love-hate relationship for sure. How'd you first fall in love with music? Oh, it was what set me apart from every other student in school and from people in my family. It's what garnered me the little bit of attention that I could get. You know what I mean? So I sort of uh, wanted to feed that. I wanted to make that grow. I wanted to make that blossom into something that was uh that I could entertain my family really it started by me singing for my grandmother you know she kept saying oh we gonna make a record we gonna make a record you know <laughs> bless her heart but yeah I I guess I've been music has been a part of my life since I can remember really I guess I've been singing since I can remember and and performing for other people since I was like six or seven 
My mother used to take us to different churches. She never liked going to church, but she liked showing off her daughter who could sing, you know. So we went to different churches and I would sing in, in the different churches sometimes. But yeah. When was there a moment where you realized like, I know for myself, I started off making music and I love podcasting. And so for me, I just like doing it for fun. But there yeah. was a turning point when I realized, wow, uh, I could do this for a living. <laughs> um, when did that turning point happen for you, that light bulb moment? I can tell you the exact moment. My mother was a, a wallpaper hanger and she was in the home of, of DJ Rogers. Say you love me. And she kept saying, oh, my daughter can sing. She said, yeah, your daughter, my housekeeper's cousin, my plumber's niece, you know, everybody can sing. But my mother was very persistent. So he said, all right, bring your daughter. But I'm telling you, if she can't sing, I don't want to hear nothing else. I don't want to hear nothing else about it. Just hang that wallpaper and I don't want to hear it. So my mother brought me to his house. He sat me on the piano bench and he played, uh, he, he said, sing this. And he played some riff and I sang it. He was like, whoa, I was 15. He played another riff. He said, sing this. And I sang it. He literally pushed me off the bench. He said, girl, and DJ's big. So he pushed me off the bench and I fell on the floor. Next thing I know, I'm at a recording session for the, the record that he made after Say You Love Me was such a big hit. That follow, the follow-up album I was singing on with these amazing singers and the music, the harmony the, and the blends. I was just loving myself and loving what I was doing. I was like, oh my God, this is so great. I love the way harmony feels like in my body. I, I just was loving it. And then I went home for weeks. I was just high, just high up the, the, the whole session. And then I got a check. And I was like, oh, hell no. That's exactly what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> it was in that moment, brother. That's what I knew. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, so many times in like most career paths, right? Most folks have this kind of structure or path, right? If I want to be a doctor. I go to college and then I go to med school and I become a doctor. Yeah. Um, but how did you kind of pave that way professionally for yourself in an industry where there is no paved roads? I started by just auditioning for everything. Everything. Did you see Dreamgirls? Of course, yeah. Okay, you know the three white girls that, that uh, are in competition with the three black singers, the three Dreamgirls, there's three white girls they were in competition with? Well, I auditioned for one of the three white girls, but I didn't know that I had to be white. <laughs> Because it didn't, you can't say that in the in the in the description of the part. So, so bless her heart. This uh, older black woman was the uh, was the casting director, and she said, "Honey, uh, I walked in the room. It's like seventeen blonde haired, blue eyed chicks waiting to audition, and they kind of looked up at me like, mm, what role is she auditioning for?'" <laughs> so, I ended up talking to this woman. She said, "Honey, did you read the did you read the?" Uh, Description of the character. I said, yeah. She said, well, it says you have to be blonde. I'm thinking Tina Turner. I'm like, bitch, I can be blonde. It's not a thing. <laughs> you know, I can be blonde. Not a problem. And she was like, no, you don't. I didn't really get it until I actually saw the play years later. So I auditioned for everything and I auditioned for Quincy Jones. And he was looking for a group like Manhattan Transfer or the Fifth Dimension. So he ended up auditioning over 800 people. And it took like nine or 10 months for me to, I would get these letters. Congratulations, down to 500. Still in the running, 250, 150, 25, 10, 5, 4. Me and three guys. 
Wow. And we became a group called Deco. And we did one album, which was the soundtrack to Sidney Poitier's directorial debut, Fast Forward. Wow. And that was one song from that, the DJ, uh, the DJ Jellybean Benitas remixed, and it became a number one dance record. And to this day, it's like a club favorite. It's called Do You Want It Right Now? Wow. I'm saying a little bit back there because you mentioned uh, Quincy. Was that your first time meeting Quincy? Through the auditions, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Were you aware of who he was at, at the time? No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Tell me, what was it like? I have a firm belief that with stars and magnetic people, you can kind of spot them in a crowd. Was there something about Quincy and your first interaction with him where you realize, like, he's different, he moves different, he is different? It was, I was noticing how others were reacting to his presence, and it made me say, hey, this guy must be something special. All these people are like acting like this towards him. So it was more, more how everyone else was revering him that made me realize he's, he's a bad mamma jamma. Typically when I, I interview folks, I've had the pleasure of interviewing some people on this podcast who've done amazing things. A lot of them work with Michael like yourself. But I know there are certain moments in a person's career where I call them oh shit moments. Oh, shit! (laughs) Where you realize that I'm in the industry. I'm in the door. What was your first oh, shit moment when you realized, like, I'm solidified. I'm I'm inside. Well, I've had a couple. The first one was when I was driving on the 10 freeway and uh, Man in the Mirror came on the radio. I just burst into tears. I had to pull over. had to get off the freeway and pull over to the side of the road to hear the rest of the song. It was just an awesome, surreal moment. And I was like, oh shit, my song's <laughs> on the radio. And then there was another moment when, when I was in the studio with Quincy Jones and Bruce Swedeen, engineer extraordinaire, and Michael Jackson. And I thought we were gonna finish recording Man in the Mirror and this other song was on. And Quincy sort of looked over his shoulder and said, Sid, do you like this, this song? I was like, I'm knitting. I'm sitting in the back of Bruce and Quincy knitting. I said, you like this song? I said, yeah. He said, can you sing it? I said, yeah. And so he said, well, go on in there and sing that, uh, sing it. Michael, you go on in there. That's when I said, oh, shit. (laughs) I'm duetting with the king of pop. It was like, it was a moment, man. It was, um, I'm getting, I get goosebumps even thinking about it. It was truly surreal. Everything was slowed down. It was like, it was in slow, everything was in slow motion. I'm walking to, this, to the recording booth and Michael is behind me with a, a video camera and I'm going, what are you doing? And he says, <laughs> I, he said, I'm, it was the 80s too. So the, the camera was like, like a phone box on his shoulder and he's following me into the, the vocal booth. And I'm like, what? He said, when I said, what are you doing? He said, I want to film you singing. And I looked over here and I said, why? Why? And then he said, because Saida, I want to sing it like you. I said, great, Mike. All my friends are going to believe me. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to let that story go. I never, ever told that story until the Spike Lee's Bad 25 doc came out. You could actually see the footage of Michael following me with his camera 
on his shoulder into the studio that had a mirrored wall. So I'm walking by the mirror, looking at the man in the mirror, getting ready to sing man in the mirror with the man in the mirror. It was insane. Insane. Ah, that was another, oh shit moment. <laughs> There's a, uh, how did you first meet Michael? Through this song, man in the mirror. How did that even come about? Okay. Uh, I was signed to Quincy Jones as a songwriter and at one point during the recording of the Bad Album, Quincy said, we've been in the studio for, you know, a long time and we're just finishing this record and we need one more song to finish out the Bad Album. One more song. So we had a meeting with these writers. I think there were like six or eight of us. And so I walked in and I took some notes and then I went to uh, my friend Glenn Ballard's house, whom is a songwriter I've always admired because I always used to sing his demos and I just loved his style of writing and his songs. So I wanted to write a song with him. So I told him about this opportunity to that Quincy was looking for a song. And he said, okay, what kind of song? I said, I don't know, because he didn't really say. He said, I just want to hit shit. You know, that's all I want. And Glenn sort of, um, we were at his home studio in Encino at the time, and he sort of stood up and walked around his desk to turn on the keyboard. And so he's turned on the keyboard to get some sounds. And then I'm flipping through my lyric book to see if, you know, maybe something sounds like, maybe I can read something that sounds like what I want to write without even knowing the music. But the music sort of connected me and drew me in. And as I was flipping through my lyric book, I turned to this page where two years prior to this moment, I had been in a writing session with um, amazing keyboard, jazz keyboardist, uh, John Beasley. And we're writing this song and I thought we were writing a, a good song. I thought we were doing well and the phone rang. And he picked up the phone and began the most banal conversation. Oh, nothing. I'm not, I'm not doing nothing. And I'm thinking to myself, no, he didn't just say he's not doing nothing. We're trying to write a song. He didn't say he's not doing nothing. I didn't, I don't, and I'm seething. Flipping through my book, just, mm, he did not say that. Mm. <laughs> Flipping through my book, and I hear him say, the man? What man? Oh, the man in the mirror. I wrote Man in the mirror. Two years later, I'm at Glenn's house. I'm flipping through the pages. He starts playing. Doom, 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 While he's playing that, I'm flipping through the book. The phrase, man in the... Every time I tell the story, I get goosebumps. The phrase, man in the mirror, popped off the freaking page. And I started writing. I, I was like, Glenn, on the, on the, on the. I couldn't write it fast enough. In like 10, 12 minutes... We had the first verse and chorus of Man in the Mirror. And it was like a Wednesday. He said, I'll finish the track. We'll demo it on Friday. You finish the lyric and we'll turn it in. I'm like, great. We finished the track late Friday night. Quest publishing offices were closed. But for some reason, mm, I could not wait. And I don't know Quincy Jones like that. you know. So I called the house and I said, can I speak to Quincy? He got on the phone and I said, Glenn and I have written this great song. He said, great, Sid. Take it to the publishing office. I'll hear it on Monday or Tuesday. I said, Quincy, can I just, can I just drop off this cassette? Can I just? He said, no, Sid, I got 12 suits in my uh, dining room. I'm, we're having a meeting. I can't. Quincy, can I? Quincy has six daughters, right? So it was at this moment where he knew this conversation was futile. So he said, all right, all right, shit. 
So I went to his house and I brought this cassette and I said, Quincy, Quincy, can you come? Sure enough, he opens the dining room door and there's 12 suits sitting at the table and they are looking at their watches and looking at me like, what the, this must be, this better be really good because you're interrupting this and Quincy's not now out of the room. So I was getting all that energy from their looks, right? So I give Quincy this cassette and I said, Q, the only thing I asked is did you just get back to me and just let me know one way or the other. Like, don't make me wait all week. You know, that's why I brought it because I want to hear sooner rather than later. So he says, all right. And he closed the door. Two, three hours later, I'm at my house and I get a call from Quincy and he says to me, I go, hello? He said, Sid, we in the studio recording your old piece of song. <laughs> hold, hold on, that's my dog. Anyway, we're in the studio recording your old piece of song. And I'm like, yes, yes. And I heard him say some of the shit I didn't really, I just wanted to live in best, we're recording your song. Just No, no, he said, this is the best song I've heard in 10 years. Best song in 10 years. And he said, but I don't know. Michael's been in the studio with me for two and a half years. He has yet to record a song that he didn't write. So I don't know, Sid. He said, but don't worry. If we don't record this on Michael's album, I'll record it with James Ingram on my album. And I'm thinking, (laughs) (laughs) had to let it go. Had to let that go. So then a couple of days later, I'm in my house cooking and Quincy calls and he said, Sid, we're in the studio recording your old piece of song, right? So I'm like, yes. And they said, but, and you know how when Charlie Brown's teacher talks, you don't really, it's just, wah, 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 wah. that's all I heard. I didn't really hear what he had to say. I heard a piece of something, something he said, something like, uh, Michael said the chorus is too short and, and Michael really wants, then he said, hold on, hold on. And I hear, and then, uh, uh, uh. And Quincy gets back on the phone. He said, Sid, and Michael really wants you to bring home the, the idea of taking your own responsibility. Ho, ho, hold on, Sid. And then I hear, <laughs> so Quincy said, hold, hold on a minute, Sid. Quincy Jones puts Michael Joseph Jackson on the phone. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was coming up, Michael was my husband, because my cousins had Jermaine and Tito, but Michael was my husband, right? So in my mind, I'm on the phone with my husband. But I did not want to be fangirl number 3,672. I wanted to be the opposite of what I was, which was like screaming inside, going, oh my freaking God, I'm on the phone with my husband. Michael Jackson, I can't, I'm like, I'm like, my head, mind freaking blown, but on the phone, baby, <laughs> strictly AT&T, I was hotel operator like a mug, he got on the phone, he said, the first thing he said to me was like, uh, I love this song, I said, thanks, thank you so much, the second thing he said to me was, and I love your voice. I'm like, thanks. So he begins to tell me what he would like the, the song to say in the next four lines that I had to come up with or somebody had to come up with. But I thought to myself, now, you know, 
I don't want Michael Jackson to have to worry his pretty little head trying to come up with lyrics for this song. So I decided I was going to give him six different stanzas from which to choose. And he chose, you got to get it right while you got the time, because when you close your heart, then you close your mind. I had five other stanzas. I wish I could find that piece of paper that those other phrases were written on, but I, I've been looking for it for 30 years. Cannot find it. So he chose that, and, and it ended up being just Glenn Ballard and I. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, on the song but on the next album the dangerous album michael wanted to write with us so we wrote a song called keep the faith glenn and i wrote the verses and the b section and michael wrote the bridge so yeah i'm a songwriter myself and i ah. know that when i write a song the listener might hear something that represents something to them but the song right. also represents something to me that right. is personal to me Right. What what were the lyrics about personally for you and what inspired those lyrics at the time when you were pinning it? I'll tell you, the inspiration was totally Michael Jackson. I knew in my heart, I don't know what, what the audacity to think that I could come up with a song for him, but I knew that if I did, it couldn't be another Ooh Baby Baby song. Ooh Baby I Love. It couldn't be that. It had to be something different something more important. I decided that he had the world as a platform and I wanted him to say something important to the world, like he'll, like the song Heal the World and a couple of other Earth songs that he had that really paid attention to what was going on on the planet and let Michael's fans know that he was not living in a bubble. He knew what was happening in the rest of the world outside of Encino, you know, where the hell he was living, Neverland. He knew what was happening in the world. And he wrote songs that showed his fans he knew that. And I wanted to write a song that he could speak to the world and say something that he too was proud to say. And that's really was the onus to come up with the, a, a lyric for Man in the Mirror, really. I wanted something Michael would want to sing and, and meant something to him. To, 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 to boil it down, the song was really inspired by Michael, not a moment in your life that happened to you. Nope, nope, nope. It's all about him. I wanted to write something that he could say to the world in a nutshell. When did you hear the finished product for the first time? In my car on the radio. So wait, hold on. So over the phone, you know that the song is being made. Yes. 
But you didn't but hear Quincy, the Quincy don't let out no no. Mm-mm. You ain't getting no no. You ain't getting no unmixed version. No, no. I didn't know. No. I didn't hear shit tools on the radio. Oh my yeah. goodness. It was um, a moment. It was uh, an oh shit moment for real. When did you know that it was gonna make the album? When he said, "We in the studio recording your old piece of song," <laughs> that's because he's he's at the you know the final days of recording. I knew he wasn't going to record something he wasn't planning on using. So I just you know I just crossed my fingers and hope for the best, dude. And let me just say, the planets were all in alignment. I mean, Quincy had to like it, Michael had to like it, the record company had to like it. it had to be one of which single was it going to be? It was so many things that had to happen before that record came out and was released to the world and everything was just right, right in line. All my little ducks were in a row and I had no idea until they crossed the street. Wow. (laughs) Um, I just can't stop loving you. Um, Mm -hmm. What was that session like? Well, I told you I went into the studio thinking we were going to finish Man in the Mirror. And then Quincy sort of, you know, asked me, did I like this song? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, go on and sing it. So I walked in the studio and there were two mic stands, two microphones, two music sheets. And I stepped up to the, to the music stand and on the music stand was a lyric sheet that said, I just can't stop loving you. First verse, Michael. Second verse, Saida. Chorus, Michael Sight. Oh, shit! <laughs> it was in that moment that I realized I'm, I'm duetting with the king of pop. So we're singing, and Michael's, Michael's each time the wind, you know, he's, and I'm just like, he's singing this to me, my husband. <laughs> so he's singing this song, and, and so I, I'm like, okay, my verse is coming up. Okay, I'm going to sing the shit out of this song. Okay, wait. Okay, wait, here it comes. He was like, I hear your voice. Then all of a sudden, I start feeling shit flying on my face. Michael is throwing popcorn in my face <laughs> so that I can mess up. So the Quincy could say, Sid, you're wasting studio time. What are you doing? And that would make Michael crack up. So that was my first experience with him and his little mischievous, demonic kind of <laughs> sense of humor. Yeah. At this time, you had been in the industry for a while, you know, so what was different about those sessions that were different than other sessions you had, you had been in before? Uh, it was Michael Jackson and Quincy Frickin' Jones, okay? <laughs> I mean, I'd been in recording sessions with, with people that were hot, you know, this one and that one, Madonna, this one, you know, it was all good. The Commodores, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire, it was all good. But this was the king of pop at the top of his game, at the top of his career. It, you know, he couldn't get, you don't get no higher. I have platinum records on my wall now that will never, ever be duplicated. Never gonna sell 42 million albums again. What? Album? What the fuck is that? What? It'll never happen again. So I was living in a moment in history that will never be repeated. And it was freaking awesome. This was... I Just Can't Stop Loving You was the first single off of Bad. Yeah. What was that feeling like to have the lead single off that album? Well, all of a sudden, everybody wants to know, who is this? Who is this? Who's this girl? Who, where'd she come from? Who is she? What? what? How did she get there? How did she get to be the duet partner for the King of... How? Who? What? 
I was like the, the next big thing. I was like the, the brand new next thing. Everybody wanted to know who I was, where I came from, how I got to Michael, what made me so special, how come, how come? I couldn't answer. I was just in the right place at the right time. I don't know. Shit happens when you open to it. Wow. You know, I, I have a question for you, Saida. Yeah? Because Michael, let's see how you felt. Michael has changed my life. Like this, it's funny. I, I have a painting of Michael that my friend painted for me for my 30, 30th birthday. Uh, uh-huh. And it's the, it's the image of Michael at the mic stand in the famous picture of you and him. Like, I, I can show you the painting. Like, I have a painting of... It's a show picture. Me. And, and what's funny is, like, I didn't realize that that was the image until we were doing our interview. And I was like, this is the image. And show I mean, me. I got to see it. Hold on. Aww. I love your friend. I love... Shout out to my boy, Jack. I'm, I'm literally a humongous... Michael changed my life. Wow. Um, and I, I get excited, living, even living in Los Angeles now. I'm excited, but I'm excited that my mom gets to see me live like Day this. three. Yeah, day three. But, but, <laughs> but I, I, I got emotional the other day walking on the beach being like, wow, like my mom gets to see me live like this. You know, wow. like. Wow. Where is she from? New York? Uh, she's in Virginia. Ah, on purpose? Yeah. yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> my, my whole family's from Virginia. And I moved oh, to. Okay. Oh, you moved to New York. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, but what was it? I want to ask you how did your mom and your, your family react? to this unbelievable moment? I got mixed reactions, which kind of shocked me from my family. I mean, I have cousins that I didn't, that I kind of grew up with, but as adults, we kind of started living our own lives. But then to them, all of a sudden I became, what's up, Hollywood? How you doing, Hollywood? What's happening, Hollywood? You know, it was negative, very negative. They were trying to, I don't know, I guess they, you know how your family keeps, tends to keep you grounded. Okay, yeah. that's what they was doing. They was trying to keep me grounded, and it worked. But they got, they were kind of proud of me, but then they were like, why her? You know, like, what, you know, what makes her so, it was weird. It was a mixed bag, very mixed bag. And then I, I have friends that, you know, when you have people in your life and they see you at a certain level, they want you to stay at that level. If they have a ceiling for you. And if you break that ceiling, then they don't know what the hell to do with you now. They don't know. They knew how to handle you when you stayed beneath their, how, how high they wanted you to rise. If you surpass their level of, of rising to fame or fortune, they mad. They mad at you because now, oh, you're so different. Oh, oh, you got this. Now you're this. And now you're, it's not, it, it's, it rarely is you. It's the way everyone else is reacting to, to your life as they see it. You mentioned earlier in, in the interview about Michael was, it, it was clear on Bad versus his previous two albums with Thriller and Off the Wall, that he was purposely had the intent of writing the entire record. Yeah. Um, what does that feel like? There were 11 songs on the album and two of the songs are written by not Michael, by other folks. What does that, that feel what does that, that feel was, like for you? It was, it was crazy. And he also gave me the song, Remember the Time, to write. But I was an idiot. I didn't like uh, the melody, so I changed the melody. And so he gave the song to someone else. Ha! So it felt like I was right about writing something that, because he already had 10 songs. Something had to be written that was better than the 10 songs that they had in order to kick one of those songs off the record. 
So I just felt just really fortunate being in the right place, the right time. All my little stars were aligned and my little ducks were all in a row. And it just, all I had to do was just be, just let it be. And it became a vehicle that I've been able to, that's opened doors, many, many doors for me in my life. I mean, just this afternoon, I was at, they're not doing Lollapalooza live, but I'm on Lollapalooza this year on streaming. It's just insane. And I did, uh, I performed this song for the seventh anniversary of Black Lives Matter. Like up until this song started popping, man, I'd been in the house for 112 days, leaving only for three alls. <laughs> Dental, medical, and funeral, okay? So now that this song is happening, I, I have to be out in the public much more. And I'm, I'm kind of afraid because I've been kicking it in the house mask-free for like 110, 12 days. And going outside is kind of, kind of fearful because the enemy is invisible. And you have to look at everyone as the enemy because everyone can infect. You know what I mean? Whether they know it or not. You don't know if they're infectious or not. They don't know if they're infectious or not. So you have to treat everyone as if they will infect you. Big picture, macro. You know, we can look on your Wikipedia page and we see your illustrious career um, mm. as an artist. But I want to know, how do you define your career in your own words? Well, you know, I had a, I had a vision for my career. And... Um, it was Beyonce. It was. But at the time, it was Madonna. Initially, it was all about Madonna. And then it was about Beyonce. But, and I had my own ideas of what kind of artist I wanted to be and how I want to be represented in the world. And none of that happened. It's like your best laid plans. God just, you, how do they say you tell God your plans and, and watch him laugh or something like that? It was kind of like that. I didn't anticipate being Michael's duet partner. I didn't anticipate being invited to be on the bad tour. And I was for like 10 days I rehearsed. And then my record company got in my head and told me, you know, you need to make a record because Man in the Mirror is coming out. You got this duet that's out now. You need to make your own record. Don't go on the bad tour. So I pulled out of the bad tour. Enter Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow. Yeah. So um, after that all happened, I had the, the opportunity to chat with Michael once more. It was like 10 or 12 years between the end of the bad tour and the next time I spoke with him. And he told me he was getting ready to go out on the road again on the dangerous tour. And before he said that, he said, so what have you been doing? I said, oh, my God, I've been nominated for an Oscar. He said, I know. I heard about that. Congratulations. I said, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to go back on the road, he said. I said, I'm going. He said, what? I said, yeah, if you're going out on the road, I'm going. He said, you want to go? I'm like, yeah. So I went. And it was the best decision I ever made. I, I really regret, it's one of my biggest regrets was not being with him on the bad tour. Wow. If you could say something to, to him now. How'd you get back alive? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, you back. <laughs> you are bad, damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I would say C. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to. I don't know. I all I know is I I was happy. There was a documentary out called Square One, I think, something like that. That kind of exonerated him of all these creepy charges, you know. And 
because we got the Rona going and we got the looting and we got the killing people and we got all this going on. His documentary that literally exonerates him from all this drama that he was plagued with his whole end of his career. It's kind of gone under the radar. Nobody said anything about it. Square One, that's the name of it, Square One. No one said anything about it. No one's mentioning it. And it's just sort of come and gone because there's so much other stuff that we have to deal with right now. But I would just say, see, I knew that, you know, he felt so badly about the way his reputation had been destroyed towards the end that, and there's really no coming back from that. You know, you can deny it, but, but it's like once you've been accused of something, it's, it's kind of hard to prove a negative. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm happy that his, his estate is doing well. I'm happy that the world still listens to his music. I'm happy that his children are going to be fine. Uh, because during his lifetime, the last few years, he was bankrupt. He was like, he owed so many people so much money. But in his death, all his debts were eliminated. And he's become richer now in death than he ever was in life, unfortunately. And tell me about your life now. Like, what you're working on, your life now. Ah, okay, right now, as we speak, do you remember um, the Will Smith property, The Pursuit of Happiness with yes. his son, Jaden? Yep. Okay, well, that film, uh, Will Smith owns the property and he's making it into a musical and I'm writing the lyrics. Wow. Yeah, The Pursuit of Happiness, the musical. But now that Broadway is like, child, I don't know. I don't know what's, nobody knows what's going to happen. Broadway's not going back on board until next year. And I don't know if you know anything about Broadway, but there are musicals lined up for years to go in. There's only a certain amount of, of, of land, uh, uh, real estate, certain amount of theaters can only hold a certain amount of people. And you can only book those shows a certain amount of days. So there are years that plays are waiting to go into those empty theaters. But now that nobody, that the musicals that were supposed to be happening now so that the, the other people can come in and start in January or start whenever their, their run is supposed to start, that's not happening. So nobody knows when Broadway's going to be back on Broadway. Nobody knows anything. But lucky for me, this musical is going to be a couple of years in the making because we, we kind of just started. And another thing that I just found out, <laughs> I, I was invited to write songs for the upcoming final season of the Netflix show, Dear White People. Yes. Yes. So I'm very excited about that. I can't wait. And then there's a couple <laughs> of other things that are not contractually, not, not uh, solidified yet, so I can't speak. But those two things, I'm done, I'm in, it's on, it's popping. Wow. See, so, you know, I often say this is, such an honor to get to interview you. Thank you so much for making the time. I once again, this is a moment. I, I'm Michael Jackson. Wait, wait, is this an oh shit moment though? This is an oh shit. <laughs> and you know the reason why I love I love doing the show so much is because you know it's very few times that you get to sit down and interview the people who changed your world um, through song. And I always say like sixteen year old me would never believe that 32-year-old me would be talking Aww. to you right now. My, my closing question that I have on the podcast 
is uh, I had the pleasure. This, this question was actually spawned because I flew down to Florida and I got to hang out with your friend, Bruce Wedeen. Yes! Yeah, I got to fly down. When to, was that? Uh, that, was two, that was when I first started the podcast uh, two years ago. Do you and not so, love Ocala? Oh, my God. Like, so cool. Did you, did you eat eggs from their hens at the house? No. <laughs> no. Baby. Their hens eat the grass and stuff. They're free-ranging. The eggs, the eggs, the yolks are so orange. They look like tangerines. Oh, I my mean, God. just rich, delicious, the most flavorful, fresh eggs I've ever had. Right there on Bruce and B's land. You know, a moment that you that reminded me of um, when Michael got on the phone with you. Yeah. It, he was in the studio. And I was, I was, ta- I was with Bruce and B. And I was, yeah. I was driving them. Uh, they, they were so, I thought I was going to be there 45 minutes, hour. And they had me all day. Oh, they're so cool. They're so cool. They go, and I I tear up every time I was, I was driving them in the car to get some food and they're like, yo, let's get something to eat. So I'm driving them and he looks over and he goes, you remind me so much of smelly. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, That had to melt your heart, right? My God, this angels on earth, Bruce and B are amazing. Um, They are truly are. This closing question was spawned by being in Bruce's house and I'm interviewing him and I'm looking at everything, all the plaques, all the pictures, all the Mm -hmm. autographs, all the accolades on the wall. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally covering the wall. And as I'm sitting there interviewing him, I couldn't help but think to myself, wow, this is, you've sacrificed so much to achieve greatness. Yeah. This is birthdays. This is graduations. This Especially the role of an engineer is to be available. At all times, yeah. At all times. And he was. And he was. He was. And so that inspired my closing question, which is, what have you sacrificed to achieve greatness and to be where you are today? Children. I um, decided I couldn't do both with the same intensity and integrity that I would want to do. So I had to pick. For me, I had to pick, and I chose music because I don't like kids. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 I forwent a family. I, I had to forego having a family in order to, in my opinion. A lot of people tend to seem to have both, but I didn't think I could give equal credence to and, and, and my full attention to both. So I decided not to. Wow. Saida. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, thank, yeah. You. thank you so much for making the time to be a guest on Silent Giants today. I really... You know what? This was rather painless, and I had the best time. I'll be on Silent Giants anytime you ask me to. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for what you've contributed to popular culture. You know, You're welcome. I, 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 these are the moments in life where, you know, it's not how long you live on the earth, it's what you do on the earth. That's right. While you're here. That's and right. Thank you so much for contributing and changing people's lives through music. Like, it really means a lot to me. You're welcome. Thank you. This is painless. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) Take care, Saida. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of the Silent Giants podcast and to our special guest, Saida Garrett. 
This episode was mixed by Compost Media Flow. And before I get out of here, check out my other podcast, OPP with Corey Cambridge. On this show, I interview America's top podcasters, and we learn more about them and the dope shows they created. You can find OPP with Corey Cambridge on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Oh, and before I let you get out of here, let me leave you with this quote. Creativity is a combination of discipline and a childlike spirit. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off. Till next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.